0: Myself, alone and I have time, I can be really smart. <laughs> yes, I think I'm bright, I think I'm talented. I'm not trying to sound disingenuous oh, to no? you. Oh. I am not an idiot. Yes, I can talk intelligently with you about stuff, but I can't quite keep up with you. <laughs> okay, that is such bullshit. <laughs> oh, believe me, I am not doing some sort of like, aw, shucks. I'm just in from the country. I'm not a real writer. I'm a regular guy thing. I'm not trying to lay some shit on you. Okay, but you you did
1: it again, though. You flatter me, but you're just patronizing.
2: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show, Feeling Well. I'm Ralph, here as always with Lloyd. And today we're going to be talking about that ultimate of dude-bro writers, author of that ultimate dude-bro tome, I think you know the one, David Foster Wallace, and we're going to be doing that by way of a film 2015's the end of the tour, in which two dude bros go and do dude bro type stuff and talk dude bro type shit. These cis white males. Yes. And they're and they're going yes, on. Yes, you said it, Lloyd. It disgusts you. Said it, me. Lloyd. And yet, here to help us talk about all that today is a girl. What? What Molly Mary O'Brien? A real How's it live going? woman. It's that's so right. Crazy. <laughs> that's right. This is a nice
1: dodge to have a a lady on to talk about DFW. You're, is, you're really yeah. dodging a bullet.
0: It is. Yeah. It's the terms of our of our white male parole, as it were, <laughs> to talk right, about. That's right. Talk about this topic. So thank
2: you. For I, that. Pre- yeah, a, I appreciate A, a safeguard, it. a safeguard of sorts. Sure. Yeah. And uh, what what inspired this episode was that. Uh, a couple weeks ago, there was a, what was it? It was like a viral TikTok, right? Yes. Of, uh, of, of this mm. young woman. And it was something like, she was by a bookshelf and she was listing something like the six books every uh, dude bro, to deploy that term again, uh, has on his mm. bookshelf and it was like Philip Roth, uh, Catcher in the Rye, uh, and of course, uh, Infinite Jest. And uh, this seems to happen like every six weeks. It's it's like a deathless cycle of, of picking on <laughs> Infinite Jest for some reason, and not only picking on it, but like contextualizing it in such a way that it's like uh, uniquely specific to, as Lloyd said, like uh, cis, white, male, hetness, or, or, or whatever. But uh, we... And
0: who can forget the classic joke of a uh, of a of a of a dude bro? And he's riding the subway, and he's got the book right in front of him, and he's and he's reading it in public. <laughs> Lloyd is currently holding to, up to, his copy of Infinite Jest. To get some, yeah. I've got my copy. I read it. I've read the I've read the whole thing, cover to cover. It took me like six months, and it's good. You know what? It's a good book. I'm saying it. Do with me what you what you must. I'm I I will not I will not. Uh, I will not apologize. You ever see for, the girl? For, you ever see the
2: girl familiar. who turned her copy into a bong?
1: I just revisited that. <laughs> I just yeah. revisited that. I totally yeah. forgotten about it. Mira Gonzalez in I yes, think yes. Vice, which was just classic.
2: Yeah, some some <laughs> lifetimes ago, um, I used to uh, do cocaine with her, um, <laughs> but that's a story for another day. But uh, we wanted uh, to have Molly on because I understand that you are not only a big fan of Infinite Jest, you have an Infinite Jest-related podcast project. Is that right?
1: That is right. Which again, I can. I'm really luxuriating in my feminine privilege to even have an Infinite Jest <laughs> podcast. Like I'm aware that this is not something that anyone can just do. Um, But yeah, the 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 reason I love Infinite Jest, I love David Foster Wallace, but I started the podcast with my husband. We have a different podcast about music writing and I realized that everyone cyclically gets mad at Infinite Jest, making it the perfect topic for a podcast like people. It is like every Mm. six weeks someone brings up the old like ij dude bro thing mm-hmm. and the cycle starts again i'm like that's mm-hmm. just great promo for a podcast and i like the book and wanted to read it again so yeah
2: yeah you actually read aloud uh, now- the book on the podcast right that's your-
1: that's the other thing yeah i'm i'm reading the the entirety of the book on on the podcast so it is basically like a fragmented audio book and if you listen to the podcast you will by osmosis eventually read infinite jest so that's the other pull See, I, I confess,
2: I, I also love goal. David Foster Wallace, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit in a sec, but I've only read like a third of Infinite Jest, I, I, I confess I'm one of those guys, but it doesn't seem like it would be the easiest book to read out loud in podcast format.
1: It's extremely hard. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing a lot of things. We just read a chapter, actually a bunch of footnotes that are drug names. And so it's just like seven Mm. syllable chemicals. That was tough. Mm. Also, just reading, going back and forth between the footnotes and the regular text is also not great. (laughs) Yeah. Also,
2: Davey loves his long, but still technically grammatically correct sentences.
1: Page long sentences. Yeah. Yeah.
2: In your
0: podcast, do you like when a footnote comes up, do you then flip to the back of the book and read I do. the thing? Like hear
2: yourself
3: laboring oh, wow. through the
1: pages? Yeah, breathing. It's almost like heavy. ASMR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's yeah, yeah good. this
2: That's uh, good. uh all this hoopla over infinite jest, as you say, the memes, it's almost like uh, infinite discourse. <laughs> oh oh <what>? boy. <laughs> Thank you for oh, that. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah that's kind of the this is I'm kind of the direction it's gonna just be forewarned. but um mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm glad that we've been kind of pulled into the discourse in some
0: in some small way, like we've joined in 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 our minuscule way the great dance of of discourse around infinite God, and, what a dance and, it is you know,
2: i'm just yeah I'm just glad to be a part of it, but before we dive uh be before here. we dive into this film, I just wanted to each of us kind of to uh Speak to our relationships with either David Foster Wallace or the book as I said, I have not read the whole book But since I was in college um, I have been a big fan of of Davey Uh, Especially when I was in college and shortly thereafter uh, I was practically kind of worshipful of him, you know, Um, I loved his uh, essays uh, his essay about um, like irony and advertising was really one of those things where, you know, you read it as a young person and it kind of blows your mind. It like, it, like he, as much as one could be influenced by an individual artist, he really did uh, uh, change the way I look at the world as, as trite as that is. And as I've gotten older, I, I guess I've cooled to him a little bit um, or rather I'm more comfortable looking at him semi-critically. Um, I don't, like, uniformly love everything he's written. Um, there's a couple things that I think are very misguided and corny, which we can talk about later. But uh, I revisited, like, some of his writing this week and uh, watched some of his old interviews, and uh, I'm quite fond of the, of the sweaty old lug. Uh, and uh, me and my friends... <laughs> Uh, In college, we we, we shared um, an admiration of him um, that was like kind of so um, whole that we began like gauging how soul deadeningly postmodern or ironic a media product would be in units of David Foster Wallace suicides. Like, we would be like, oh, my God, this Old Spice commercial is five David Foster Wallace suicides. <laughs> oh or, oh, my God, the Lego movie is 100 David Foster Wallace suicides. <laughs> oh or, God, the end <laughs> oh of the tour. God. The end of the tour is David Foster Wallace suicide times infinity. Oh, boy. But uh, that, that's oh my boy. relationship to the man and his work. What, what about you guys?
1: <laughs> Should I go? I can go. Yeah, go for uh, it. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I Yeah. College. I, actually, I think I read my first David Foster Wallace short story in high school because I was in like a senior year creative writing class. And my teacher uh, correctly understood that I was like super bored and needed like extra stimulation, which I feel like is, makes my association with David Foster Wallace for like extra credit kids. <laughs> like, right. It's definitely <laughs> like for, you know, people who are maybe feel like they're a little too clever for your your average uh Hemingway or or whatnot, Um, but I read Infinite Jest. I read Infinite Jest my sophomore year of college over winter break because it's a perfect winter break length book. Like, if you, I had nothing to do, I had no, you know, no employment, no commitments, no friends, really. (laughs) So it's the (laughs) perfect. It was like a a month to read a thousand page book. Like, hell yeah! Um, And I am also i I love the the like fuck you long book kind of thing like i if someone yeah. writes something that that's mm. that's that size i'm like yeah good for you like i'll i'll try it out <laughs> so that's and i've i think i have a similar relationship to david foster wallace in that like the older i get the more i'm like eh some things are maybe a little too clever or like the ideas are a little retrograde i remember i don't know if either of you have read this he wrote for some magazine in the early nineties, an essay about how the AIDS epidemic yes. makes it yes. now like is bringing chivalry back into romance because or you like have make to like, sex
2: sexy again because yes. there's like a element of risk. And doesn't he like doesn't he like <laughs> metaphorically refer to AIDS as like a dragon? A dragon, or yeah. And you're like a knight <laughs> the slaying dragon. the
1: dragon. And I'm like, now that is totally <laughs> batshit insane, but
2: the sexy oh AIDS boy. dragon. Yeah. When it when it comes to stuff like that, like I I also remember just like just like a just like a cringe formulation that's like seared in my mind was some essay. Where he's like, you know, doing his thing, talking about, you know, how, how one should resist, um, you know, easy consumption, easy seductive commercial entertainment or whatever. And he's like, you know, the things that really make life uh, worth living, uh, you know, like a literature, personal relationships, something like that. But then he says, uh, truly deep, serious sex. And I'm like, ugh, all right. We We get it, Davey. You fuck. All right. And and, and, and while we're talking about things he he wrote that that uh, suck, his uh Up Simba, his essay about John McCain's uh two thousand campaign. Oh yeah. Have you read that? Yes. Yes, that that is the, the pro style there. I guess like whenever he would write for Rolling Stone or something, he would like kind of metamorph into their house style. Yeah. Um and and that article for Rolling Stone not only is the prose style very corny, but he just completely buys into like the John McCain myth and uh and and just mm. like a whole lot of just like centrist bullshit. He was like kind of a product of his time in the sense that he was like, I guess, apolitical or or whatever you would call it. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah,
1: yeah, I, I, he got, he's just a regular got guy really jacked up about, like, he's like, you know, the, the whole tortured, uh, vet thing, like, you know, there's really something to this. Like he, maybe he really is a maverick. I'm like, yeah, exactly.
2: Dude. And I remember there was this one part, it really had, um, it had a, like a kind of like G whiz quality where he's like looking at, um, like all the, all the people working on the campaign and there's a part where he's like, ah, yes, uh donuts for breakfast every day diabetes is the pepper lung of politicos and i'm like all right this is this is corn yeah
1: (laughs) having seen a political campaign kind of machine not super up close but kind of i really don't know how you walk away from that and feel like any sense of romance or idealism it's just a gross enterprise no matter who the person is honestly
2: they're all horrible cretins yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah. What about you, Lloyd? You, you have read yeah. Infinite Jest. You have it by your side I, like you uh, always do. Yep, yep.
0: Uh, you know, I, I, I like to give it a little kiss before I go to bed at night. <laughs> and I like to Lloyd give it a little kiss when I wake copy. up in the morning. Yep, he did it again. Yep, yeah. kissed it twice. Um, so I, I read I read a, um, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again when I was in college. And that's the, that's the essay Great about essay. cruise ships. Um, wonderful probably his I, most popular I, thing
2: right mm hmm
0: mm-hmm. after that i read a, a collection of his short stories called oblivion which is which is very good very um very striking um, i read infinite jest like during one of the darkest periods of my life when i was like uh i had just like gotten out of a six-year relationship i was working night shifts as like an assistant editor and like i just I, you know my life was shit and i spent six months reading infinite jest and it was like it's like oh something. It was something to look forward to, um, you know. I'm a big fan of the book. I I haven't I haven't really looked at it in about seven years, uh, but I, I I more recently read his unfinished novel, The Pale mm-hmm. King. Wow, you read Pale uh, King too. Which is yeah yeah. And Pale King, of course, is about it's semi autobiographical and uh, about his time working at the IRS, um, and that is. If you if you haven't if you haven't uh, it, it's a little bit it's a little bit difficult because it is unfinished and a lot of it is just like kind of pieced together by his editors and his friends so it's uh it's not it's not quite as polished or as dense as Infinite Jest is but it's uh it's definitely worth the read in my opinion yeah um, you're a bit of a pale king yeah. yourself Lloyd.
2: <laughs> and you know watching watching That's this movie like be. I was like you're kind of like a a Wallace-like figure in your manner too. You know, it was it was kind of <laughs> you know, reminding hmm. me. I feel like I feel like you and I have like kind of a Lipsky Wallace sort of relationship, you know? Perhaps. Yeah, but perhaps. for the podcasting, we'll, we'll have to get game. into that. Yeah. There's a lot maybe to unpack there. A big theme in That's right. Yeah, maybe one day they'll make a, a, a an indie movie about us that will be yes, highly reductive yes. and allied our worst qualities yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we'll just spin in our graves. oh boy no one one of the one of the central themes in in Pale King is about like how so much of society kind of rests on the backs of people who like like heroes aren't aren't like people who who like distinguish themselves and do like heroic things it's about people who just allow themselves to be ground into the dirt, into the dirt. You know, it's about people right. who just like, and that is know. like your whole um, thing
2: is being ground.
0: That's my whole know? thing, man. I, I've been digging a ditch since 8am. Like I am, and it's slow like going. Literally not, it's not figuratively. Literally like a literal ditch so that my basement doesn't flood anymore. Um, But it's, uh, I'm really tired, but, uh, you know, I, I am, I am, I'm, this is, this is like my, my special treat for the day, is, is the podcast <laughs> oh, and right. some, more, some more cerebral pursuits. Yeah. So
1: Before it's you know. back to the ditch.
0: Back to the ditch, mm-hmm. oh yeah. The, the ditch isn't gonna dig itself, Molly. <laughs> this, is,
2: this is my life now. <laughs> <laughs> this is my life. <laughs> uh, well, let's, uh, let's pivot to a different sort of uh, void, if you will. Uh, the end of the tour, directed by, I forget his name, it's like James po- Posseld. Hustled a lot of strange spelling. But uh, it is a, an adaptation of David Lipsky's book. What's it called? Although, of course, you end up becoming yourself. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. And uh, that book is basically, uh, I haven't read it, but my understanding is that Lipsky was dispatched by Rolling Stone to profile David Foster Wallace at the height of his fame. Um, and the book is basically a, a series of, their transcripted conversations with him, kind of offering occasional commentary. Is that right, Molly? You've read the the
1: source book. I right? read. I read it l- like when it came out, and I honestly forgot most of it. But yeah, it's it's it is a sort of rambling interview with a little bit of context in it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And this movie, it basically, uh, I assume, it like lifts um, at least large chunks of its dialogue directly from the book using Lipsky's. And Davey's actual words, and uh, Jesse Eisenberg plays Lipsky. Jason Segel of How I Met Your Mother and Forgetting Sarah Marshall fame plays DFW, and they uh, they go on a sort of road trip. Lipsky attempting to profile him as he finishes up his uh, book tour for Infinite Jest. Uh, so shall we dive into the movie and get real granular?
1: love it let's do it
2: <laughs> by all means all right so the movie begins and it kind of has your typical like unnecessary book ending device where it begins with like uh the modern Lipsky or Lipsky um as he's receiving the news that david foster wallace has died um and uh it opens with him He he, he once he learns this he starts rifling through this this box and finds his old tapes um and he begins like a radio broadcast uh essentially eulogizing david foster wallace and immediately i have a problem with this because uh i had seen this movie once before and like i remember like when i saw the coming attractions i was like scandalized by the very concept of the movie Mm -hmm. because like i i just couldn't get over and this time too, couldn't quite get over like, if you're interested enough in David Foster Wallace to want to make like a schmaltzy middle brow entertainment about him, wouldn't you be aware that that would be like the most mortifying thing imaginable to the actual David Foster Wallace? So it's like, like, am I wrong here? Like, and it's not only like I was, it's, yeah. it, like, it's just conceptually like almost hilariously, like such a disservice to his like work and philosophies and being like such a reductive and sentimental piece of, of hagiography, you know? So like that was hard for me to get over from the get-go, but watching it again now, I tried to kind of check my sense of, of sacrilege at the door and just see like, okay, like does this work as a movie where, you know, maybe you don't necessarily know that much about David Foster Wallace. But like from the beginning in this scene, he's like, he's like imparting this knowledge about like his legacy and how important a writer he is. So the movie is like kind of inviting you to view it as like some kind of ultimate statement on the man, right? Hmm. Like it's not... It sure seemed that way to me. It was was
0: like, it was kind of... Referential later on in the film about, like it does kind of brush up against how horrified DFW might have been to have a movie made about himself, and it's like it's like I don't know it it tries to be self-effacing. Well, that's in like the thing. Yeah, it doesn't go all ways. the way.
2: It's bizarre. It's like utterly no, self-negating. No. Like it's a movie that is ostensibly about like authenticity and like constructed selves, but it's 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 just it's it's like kind of just. It's, it's, it's just like it just like goes down smooth and it's supposed to make you feel warm and good like it's mm. the very thing its text decries what do you think about that so so molly you've read you've read the book that this is based yeah. on like
0: what is what is your like what is your take of david lipsky like for me he was just like this loathsome individual throughout this entire
2: yeah film. well the movie like, in the movie is he, he's played is by he jesse more... eisenberg as like Kind of like a like a type A nerd, but I heard that's not what Lipsky is actually like. I, I heard he's actually more rough hewn than that. But I don't know. Can you speak to that, Molly?
1: Yeah, I what I remember from the original book is that Lipsky definitely, as a character, did not come off anything close to the weird like malevolent energy that jesse eisenberg was displaying <laughs> for the he was making me Just so diabolical nervous. He's, like a, he's like a
2: wicked little elf you he's, know? Yeah, he's yeah he's like a little demon yeah.
1: and honestly like the book was a piece of jerk. it was a piece of sort of like lost journalism that had been refurbished for you know if it had come out in 1996 it would have been received differently but like posthumously it actually kind of made a lot of sense but yeah, I also felt it was so weird to make a movie about something that David Foster Wallace definitely wouldn't, he would have actively disliked as a concept, which is like the schmaltzy, not even biopic. Like it doesn't even do the work of like an actual biopic where you might no, see the, the points thing that of struggle for him. it does the thing that every would be
2: biopic from the last 20 years does, which like instead of doing the work of trying to uh, uh, psychologically profile its like famous subject, which would involve taking a stance it instead makes its true protagonist this like non-entity that once had a brush with the subject, and you view it through his eyes. And yeah. that's kind of the thing about the movie, because the movie doesn't have like a real definitive stance on Wallace. We'll talk about it more, but like when it's at its most interesting, it's when it kind of maybe challenges him... And suggests like, oh, maybe he isn't this unfailingly humble, self-effacing uh, man. You know, he tries to complicate his image, but then every time it like it backs down and yep. just kind of. Yeah. But that being said, uh, I, I recently rewatched The Social Network and I feel like Jesse Eisenberg is a very good actor. And despite having the thankless part here. I feel like he's. We'll talk more about Jason Segel, but I feel like he he gives the better performance here. I feel like he's like so egregiously typecast as an actor in general, but uh, I thought his uh, his kind of cagey energy was was pretty well observed here, and just kind of like the gradients of like him like fanboying out and then alternating between that and resentment. I thought that was that was pretty good on his part. But uh, so he learns about infinite jest. And uh so he he eulogizes Wallace and then we, we do a flashback and it's it's Lipsky in the nineties and uh he's giving some boring book reading of his boring <laughs> new book. <laughs> and uh and then he like goes to like some cocktail party, which just really had like very kind of trite biopic vibes, just everyone kind of like
1: That was mm, KGB bubbly. bar, which is like the literary bar in Manhattan right yeah Yeah. and everybody's and everybody's like like going (laughs) to me
2: (laughs) yeah exactly and he's passing like person after person who like just happens to be like uh babbling about david foster wallace saying how great he is and um lipsky starts to feel jealous um and uh he's like chatting with his girlfriend and and i just want to briefly shout out um the actor playing his girlfriend um, I believe I rec- recognized her from veep yep. and I think she was a child actor that movie where the boy dies from bees yes. right yes yeah that's right my girl mm-hmm. I think it was called but anyway like just like as like Lipsky's girlfriend is like such a like stock thankless part but in this she's the thankless part to the already thankless part so she's kind of like thankless <laughs> squared or like thankless cubed oh. and like all she kind of does is like Throw meaningful smiles at Lipsky and 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 talk about how great David Foster Wallace is, but anyway, he reads the book and he's like, "Shit, it's great." And then uh, he convinces his editor at Rolling Stone to uh, send him to go profile David Foster Wallace. And so uh, we uh, we go on a little little trip with Lipsky. The movie's fond of using a lot of lens flares. And, uh, (laughs) and then, uh, we, uh, we finally, where does he meet him? He, he, he like calls him and then he just, what happens next? He just like pulls up at his house, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he calls, he calls David Wallace's house and, uh, and David picks up and, and like, you know, to kind of cement his reputation as like an eccentric. He's like, lose this number, but then he just shows up at his house anyway and it's like it's fine. Oh, I also wanted to <laughs> mention DeSantis, something like,
2: when when he's uh when he's pitching it to his uh his editor, he like tosses like a newspaper article at him and it has the picture of like David Foster Wallace. I think he's like holding one of his dogs and it's like the cover of the actual Lipsky book. But the movie, like, pretty artlessly just kind of superimposes Jason Segel's face onto this real picture. (laughs) And that just, like, stuck out to me. (laughs) Like, I think I remember that from the trailer and that being, like, a knife that was really twisted in my side. But, um, Mm. so yeah, DFW appears. And and, and what's your impression of Jason Segel as David Foster Wallace? Because to me, like, at first, like, the fucking headband, the hair, I'm like, this is a Halloween costume. Like, it just has very, like, SNL vibes to me. Maybe that's unavoidable. But I kind of feel like Siegel doesn't really capture the man. Like, he kind of just makes him, like, a lumbering hippie. And I feel like, like, uh, Molly, you ever watched that that interview uh, Wallace did with, like, uh, some German television station? No, Do you know the one? I don't uh, think well, it's, so. Well, it's like an interview from, like, 2003. I, I used to watch it a lot. I rewatched it this week. And uh, it's post headband. He's just got got like a kind of a bad haircut. Mm-hmm. He's sweating. He looks like shit. And he's like talking to this woman. He's like doing the David Foster Wallace thing, where he's like, "Yeah, okay. Well, can we make it more like a conversation? This would be easier for me." It's like, well, "Okay, well." And then like he's like messing with like his lav mic, and then they have to like readjust the shot. And he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." And it's like almost like slapstick. And uh, he also gives some very thoughtful answers. But like if you watch one of his interviews, David Foster Wallace, he's like kind of like. He's kind of like a pressure cooker of like self hatred and and like he's he's sweating and not that he's like that all the time, but like he he didn't seem like like the chill bloke that Jason Siegel mostly sketches here. Uh, but what do you guys think about that?
1: Yeah, I watched um I watched his Charlie Rose interview, which I think was the maybe ninety seven, so right At around Bandera. yeah, and yeah. so that, that was bandana time. And yeah, uh he was definitely super tightly wound. He would answer, like he'd finish answering, and then he would had this tick where he would like grimace like he knew that he Yes, he that does he do did that. Not that's it the, the, the way self
2: that's like after he gives that's like the floodgates of self-hatred re entering. Yeah, just
1: being like, I can't fuck, I can't edit this now. It's been said and I can't like redo it. And yeah, no, that the Jason Siegel, the affectation where he like seems to be this kind of like Zen dude. Didn't yeah. feel quite right. I and he was trying to do something because, like, this was was this Jason siegel's first like dramatic role, or at least one of I think the this was supposed to be like so. his like
2: Oscar bait pivot or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, was, like, that's so true quiet, though. The grimace, like, 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 yeah, yeah, like he would say something, and then like you can just see so clearly on his face. It'd be like, God, I sound like a fucking. So, like everything, <laughs> It's very endearing. I, I can certainly relate like everything being because that's another thing about David Foster Wallace's seeming manner is that he would he, he was like an unfathomably self-aware person. So like whenever he would answer something, he would like constantly have caveats like, well, that probably sounds pious or, oh, my God, I'm listening to myself saying that. Am I hearing a voice in my head talking about how pretentious I sound? You know, it's like he's like constantly like auto correcting or whatever. Mm-hmm and um Mm. yeah and i feel like kind of the one i i I don't think i'm the first person to observe this but if you must make a movie about david foster wallace i think the one person who could have really captured that that quality would be someone like philip seymour hoffman
0: Mm. oh yeah i feel
2: like he would really get that like pressure cooker of of self-consciousness and despair quality but also like sort of shades of warmth but uh what what I think to I think to Jason Siegel's credit, like he he does he does make an honest
0: effort to kind of project that air of just constant discomfort in the world. Um, but I think how it comes across is like it's him reacting to stuff. In this case, like like all throughout the movie, he's like observing Jesse Eisenberg's character doing things, and like to me, you know, one one of the more ham-fisted parts of the movie. And we'll we'll I'm sure we'll we'll cover this later, but it's like. You know, we're watching Jason Segel as David Foster Wallace react to Jesse Eisenberg as David Lipsky, just like, you know, talking to the girls and like, you know, having normal social interactions. And like that is that is kind of supposed to stand in for a lot of like. For a lot of David's kind of like.
2: Yeah, he he does. Uh, he like tries to do this thing qualities. where he like he'll like introduce like he'll like weirdly belatedly respond to Lipsky in ways that are like mm-hmm. some sometimes kind of baffling and like sometimes just makes him seem like weirdly not that bright or something. But, um, yeah, yeah. but yeah, so like they meet, so yeah, and like in that like introductory scene, there's like a weird tension that the movie's emphasizing, you know, and part of that, you know, makes sense because it's, it's trying to establish how uncomfortable Wallace is with the idea of being profiled for a magazine, but it's also like the audience is like, hmm, okay, how's he gonna play this? How's he gonna be David Foster Wallace? But, uh, yeah, so, uh, they, uh, they meet for the first time and, uh, it's clear that Wallace is uncomfortable with the whole idea. And he says something to him, like when he, when he brandishes his tape recorder, he's like, Hey man, listen, you know, you have to like, give me like, if I say something five minutes later, I tell you to take it out. Yeah. You, you got to do that for me. He's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. And they start talking and they, <laughs> and, uh, and then like they're at it. And t- I
0: thought, I thought that they were, I thought that they were planting a Chekhov's gun thing because Cause Lipsky turns off the tape recorder while David Foster Wallace says, like, if I say something th- and, and say five minutes later, you got to take it out. Like he doesn't record that. And then he like turns it back on. So I thought that was going to be like a point of contention later on. But no, he like pretty much, up, he pretty much like being nothing.
2: He pretty much like, like honors that, that commitment. Yeah. So they have to like yeah. contrive yeah. other conflict later. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but yeah, so then they go on like, they go to a diner and they um they talk about uh relationships of course they talk about each other and being writers and um you know I must say I made a note that like watching Lipsky talk to Wallace I definitely do relate to his character's uh Salieri status as a mediocrity I do have a podcast but uh I did appreciate <laughs> that but, <laughs> <laughs> but um and like, so then like they they're driving in the car and I found something kind of odd where Lipsky makes a remark about how he asks David Foster Wallace if he thinks being handsome helped him in his career. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, I guess David Foster a- <laughs> Wallace is not an abject looking man, but it it never occurred to me that he was hot um and then so like uh Wallace in the film like kind of recoils and he's like "Ah, geez I don't know about that and then there's like a beat and then he says to Lipsky, he's like hey you know you're a pretty good looking guy too and like I don't want to sound hack but there's like the movie like almost flirts with like a like a weird tension but like a weird almost like sexual tension between the two men throughout the film and then like there's like a lot Mm. of stuff later on about like There's almost like surrogate women that they fence over. So like I like a better movie Mm. if this movie like centered that like what I perceive to be like kind of that weird psychosexual tension between the two, like and just said like fuck it and wasn't faithful to reality necessarily. I would respect that. But like, am I alone in in (laughs) sensing that in the movie? Like they kind of pick it up sometimes, but then they abandon it. I don't know.
1: I mean. my interpretation of I I I was picking up on that too I think the read I would have of that is like they because yes they have the they're both ostensibly straight men and they have these like two blonde women uh who hang out with them and kind of reaffirm their straightness especially once they do the like uh (laughs) when David Foster Wallace gets mad at uh uh, it, Lipsky for flirting with his ex but yes. the, se- the male sexuality in this is writing success like they're I think they're like horny for <laughs> like right. being accepted like I don't mm. think that they're horny for it's there's there's nothing like sexy like physically about this movie but I do think yeah. like Lipsky especially seems like attracted specifically attracted to the idea yes. of being a famous writer which is a weird thing to bring as an attraction if you were supposed to be profiling the guy
2: Yes, that, that sounds right, but I think it would be interesting if it was literalized by a scene of them just like truly fucking, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like if it just, just said going into each uh, other. Like at least if I said like if it just did that, I'd be like, hmm, all right. I respect right. you. Movie. Well, there, <laughs> you know? there was the opportunity
1: for that when when he when Litsky's about to go back to his hotel room and David Foster Wallace is like, you know, I've got a guest room that you could stay in. Like that could be Yeah, really see there are somewhere. seeds there.
2: Mm-hmm. It would be so great if it was just kind of like the middling like Sundance movie it was for like seventy minutes, but then Took mm-hmm. you there. Mm-hmm. I'm just. Say- I'm not saying that would be good. I'm not saying it would make David Wallace spin in his grave any less. I'm just saying it would be a
0: choice. Statement. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Agreed.
2: Yeah. So
0: so we're kind of we're kind of like. I think one of the reasons we're having trouble progressing through the plot of the movie is that the arc in this film is very weak. Yeah. There is there is barely an arc here. It doesn't really like establish dramatic us- stakes.
2: Like outside of outside of the Wallace legend, yeah. Like
0: yeah. So so Eisenberg arrives at DFW's house. He like they they talk about stuff. There's some uncomfortable moments. They fly to Minneapolis for his last stop on the tour. There's some uncomfortable moments. There's some tension. Like you know, there's these. uh, They meet one of one of uh, DFW's exes. Hold on, uh, hold on. Why are you jumping
2: around so much? We have to talk about when because they go to seven <laughs> eleven.
0: Oh, seven eleven. I'm sorry. Yeah.
2: I'm this sorry. This is important. Mea culpa. Let's- so they go to seven eleven and the movie makes a big to do about Molly, maybe you could tell me this. Like the movie, for some reason, like really wants to emphasize like the fact that David Foster Wallace, like it it tries to like downplay his erudition in a lot of ways. yeah. And uh, there's this scene that like makes a big point of him liking like Diet Coke and candy and junk food and McDonald's, yeah. which like if that was invented for the film, I find that very, uh, I find that offensive. But if like that's actually like a put on that Wallace would engage in, I just find that like so disingenuous you know yeah. that he's like hey you know i just like mcdonald's like that to me is just like such a bullshit posture he knows that 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 being indulgent is bad but like is, is that was that like a part of his like his shtick
1: i can't remember i i feel like i've heard from other sources that like he he did just like junk food and i guess maybe that like wasn't part of his ethos of like avoiding easy american pleasures even like what's an easier american pleasure than a uh what what's the name of a mcdonald's handburger? a big mac <laughs> that, that's right a yeah big, <laughs> a big mac uh but i don't i don't remember it in the book certainly as like being highlighted in any way but certainly in the movie they they're mm. like this guy likes pot he wrote a thousand page book and he loves pop tarts
2: yeah it seemed like he
0: yeah, loves it was, it was, he loves twizzlers <laughs> like he's 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 drinking his soda down like he loves treats
1: He loves. (laughs) He's he's a man who loves. Well, well, that's
2: the thing too. The movie, like, like Wallace's whole thing is like he he like he talks about how uh, corrosive, like, uh, seductive commercial entertainment is, Mm -hmm. right? And he would always like cop to the fact that he would be like, "Hey, I'm as susceptible to this stuff as anybody," but like the movie, like, kind of takes him too literally when he like tells Lipsky. Like, oh, man, my addiction is television or this or that. Because, like, mm. when they have all these scenes that, like, overplay that hand, like, later in the film, when they go to see that, like, dumb John Travolta action movie, like, the shot is of him watching with, like, his mouth open, and he he looks like a fucking moron, <laughs> you know, but it's, like, yeah. it's almost like they two literally took, like, he doesn't, like, he wasn't like literally admitting to like having a condition where he's like addicted to television or something. I don't know. Just the movie seemed very literal minded in that regard to me. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, as you say, Lloyd, I it's mean, kind of, it's kind of a lot of the same, but let, let's talk about how, like at some point the movie has to try to introduce like some kind of conflict between the men. So like mm. they catch up with yeah. at a reading, uh, Wallace's ex and her friend, and they kind of like uh, hang out with them a couple times. And um, Lipsky is and like... oh, aggressive. there's some looks. <laughs> yeah. There Lipsky is like aggressively looks. flirting with uh, Wallace's ex. And ex is, and uh, Wallace is getting like increasingly butthurt. And I have to say, I know I called Eisenberg uh, like an evil elf earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. And like, well, I know it's like not chill what he's doing exactly, like the Wallace character responds with like such gravity. It just seemed like so contrived and weird to me. And I have to say like, this Wallace is a terrible hang in these scenes. Yeah. Like he's truly a drag. A real you snooze know? Like, yeah. Yeah, like, Eisenberg, he's trying to party. He's trying to hang out with literary superstar David Foster Wallace. And, like, Wallace, like, it was just giving me, like, such sharp, like, pangs of recognition of, like, the friend who's, like, not fitting in. And they, like, try a joke, and it falls flat. But then you notice that they're, like, too upset that the joke fell flat. So it's like, hey, man, it's chill. And then that just makes them more upset. And then you're like, oh, hey, fuck you. But I don't know. I wasn't digging Wallace's vibe. He was really killing the vibe in these scenes, I thought. And I thought that Eisenberg wasn't really doing anything that bad but what do you guys think
1: I mean the implication of him getting so angry that Lipsky's flirting with his ex which even though like I'm like if that's flirting like dude cut, like chill out he's literally asking yeah. for her unless the maybe the 90s were crazy and like if you got a girl's email address it meant like you were definitely <laughs> going to fuck like take me back to that time please but so he yeah he's like literally glowering like don't Don't fucking like. I don't want you flirting with her, and I don't want you talking to her. And then that also kind of connects to him saying like he didn't want Lipsky to interview his parents. And to me, that implies some kind of darker secret. Like, what else are they? What what else is he going to find out if he talks to other people who aren't modulating his uh, image the way that David Foster Wallace himself can? And then the movie just backs off. I'm like, dude, what did he do to this ex? Like, that's what I want to yeah. know.
2: Well, that's what I wanted. to It was like, what is this supposed to mean? Yeah. Because again, there's like, there's, there's an interesting way you could, you can take this where it's like, okay, we're going to make a movie. It's about an author as famous as David Foster Wallace, but we're going to kind of like chop him down to size and make it like this like almost like lacerating comedy about like male ego and insecurity like listen up philip you know the alex ross perry film have you seen that no no all right well something like that like something that actually like examines and centers like all this like weird abounding uh insecurity but it doesn't really do that it like introduces it and then it just kind of leaves it, as you say. Like, how is that supposed to tie into like the thematic material of the movie? I didn't really get it.
0: I mean, I I kind of interpreted it as a as a stand-in for a much kind of broader pattern of of DFW's difficulty with kind of the absurd and like the the the, the, the minutiae of um, like I don't know, like that scene where that scene where uh, where he gets very mad at at Lipsky for for flirting with his ex you know, barely flirting with with his ex and like really reacts so strongly like I don't know I guess I guess what what i what I read was like earlier uh like Lipsky had admitted to cheating on a girlfriend in the past or something and so right yeah like or he like had he this, was this 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 unstoppable urge to like 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 improve him somehow or like protect her somehow it was like it was but it was very muddled and it wasn't it wasn't clear but it it was you know but it that's that's like the highest point of tension in the film yeah well that's none. the thing like, like it,
2: it it doesn't really mean anything it's just a contrivance it doesn't to mean like, raise anything. the stakes yeah, yeah 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 and then but it's it like, was a
0: shame because the whole the whole film kind of suffers from the problem that the editor of the, of Rolling Stone is talking about in the beginning is like there's not really a story there like oh you, yeah and there's the hilarious there's to, the
2: hilarious scene they insert where he's like in the hotel room and he's like ask him about heroin who cares do it yeah and, yeah, and he's like yeah but another thing, another attempt at, at at like kind of introducing some kind of like dramatic significance is when they're on the plane, and like this might be pretty rich coming from me. What I said earlier about David Foster Wallace's suicides, but I, I found it a little callous how they like try to like uh, extract tension from talking about his suicide attempt mm-hmm. and 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 essentially foreshadowing his later successful attempt. It almost felt like in like movies about 9-11 like in the beginning where they're like oh you know what I love about planes they're never hijacked and crashed you know so it's like <laughs> like I feel like the movie like doesn't doesn't uh... like earn the right to like engage with that material there's like a scene where he's like pressing him on the plane and Wallace becomes like obviously uncomfortable and then starts to talk about it um in his period in a uh, an institution but what would you guys think about that element of the movie
1: Oh, uh, that I don't. Yeah, it, it seemed just off, especially since I, I don't know whether it was trying to establish Lipsky is like not that great of a profiler because anytime he was trying to get actual new or interesting intel out of out of david foster wallace like he just came off in the worst way like on a plane he brings up on a plane so <laughs> so now, now that we're sitting with like 40 other strangers before they serve us our ginger ale like uh have you ever wanted to kill yourself <laughs> what kind of journalism is that so maybe- i mean
2: to be fair to be fair yeah. i can be quite chatty whenever i'm on a plane next to a stranger that's one of my first questions yeah but uh but yeah mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm.
1: good to always check whoever <laughs> whoever you're sitting with, just get get a read. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. The it's yeah. funny because another thing I did before uh uh watching End of the Tour was I reread um the This Is Water speech because I feel like the his Kenyan uh commencement speech in Foster Wallace's because How does that
2: hold up? I, I feel like that may be a corny reread.
1: Honestly, I loved it because I okay. I was I I realized I had maybe not been like totally reading it carefully. It really is about, it's a a speech about like how empathy is the only thing that's going to like empathy and actually like caring about other people is the only thing that's going to get you out of the grind of your life
2: right the rat race which seems
1: only like more and more relevant the more like capitalism is trying to murder everybody but he also he literally (laughs) references killing yourself in that fucking commencement speech Mm. like he talks about like the idea he he says specifically he's talking about your brain and the way you exist in your brain and how uh your brain is like your body's master. And so like you need to like figure out how to master your brain. And he said, when people shoot themselves, where do they shoot themselves? In right, the head. Right, I remember
0: that. Yeah, yeah. And this <laughs> is this is all to say that like
1: bringing up suit, like when he, because he also brought it up in the movie earlier than the plane scene where he's just talking about oh yeah if things continue if technology continues to develop the way it's going to develop i've got to get off this planet so i do think he did suicide or the idea of like killing yourself Mm -hmm. or like getting like leaving consciousness like was present but the way again the way the movie brought it up was just like it always felt so off somehow well
2: well, yeah it it sucks uh, because it's like it's like supposed to like it's almost like a wink or meant to like uh, induced suspense or something the right. fact that it's like used as a device is like what's
1: we so all know what happens it. in the end yeah yeah it's
0: like oh yeah, he, yeah. this guy
2: mentioned killing himself you know what he ended up i thought doing. that that yeah. line
0: i thought that line about like how how of, of dfw saying like i gotta get off this plane i thought that was like less uh distasteful but like the villainous dialogue on the plane it's like oh did that happen around the time of your suicide attempt like that was that. It's like very. Yeah. It's very. I don't know. Very shoehorned. Um. And like, and that that kind of that kind of turn, just keeps coming back with with Jesse Eisenberg's character being like
2: the devious journalist. Like I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, so that's that's when their relationship starts to sour, um, and uh, they make their way back, um. There's a there's a scene where uh, they they return from the tour. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg can't find where they parked uh, at the airport, and then uh, again, a, like a real contrivance, Wallace is like, oh, fuck. "Well, you don't you didn't write down where we parked." He's like, "Yeah, well, I'm sorry, I'm not as smart as you." And it felt very like rushed <laughs> and sudden. But then they have like a handful of scenes where they uh. like really argue in the car. And I think these are probably the best scenes in the movie um, because like, uh, you know, OK, so like cars on the table, like Eisenberg starts calling Wallace out for like his fake humble bullshit mm-hmm. and, and like Wallace's tick of like complimenting him and others while downplaying his own intelligence in a way that feels patronizing and i do think this is like a real part of david foster wallace like he definitely did do that like fake humble shit i think but but what do you guys think and i only wish that the movie like made the decision to to like challenge his myth more along those lines but but what do you think about that do you think david foster wallace was kind of a little a little full of shit sometimes (laughs) pulling that Cause I kind of think he was like, he was very much like, you know, as, as the Eisenberg character says, like, uh, how humble could you be if you wrote a a 1100 page book, you know?
1: Yeah. I guess the idea being that he's sort of like, uh, he's just deigning to, to hang out with all the plebes when actually he could be in his like beautiful mind palace, that kind of thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, well I mean like cuz he would he would like downplay his own like supreme intelligence a okay, lot like yeah. in interviews. Is, is what I'm driving at. Yeah. Like he would he would kind of have mm. like a faux humility about him. And I guess if you're him, what's the alternative? I guess the alternative is being his nemesis, uh the the wario to David Foster Wallace's Mario Brett Easton Ellis, you know. He doesn't <laughs> want to be like that. But yeah. but I do think that there is some truth to the fact that um you can kinda you can kinda pick up on just kind of like a patronizing air to the way he would like kind of try to downplay his own his own genius or whatever, but I don't know.
1: Yeah. But I yeah, so- I feel like he doesn't have a choice. I mean he does have a choice, but in at least if you think about it in terms of the movie, like if Lipsky is mad at him for, you know, doing the faux thing, as David Foster always called it, uh I feel like that was that just Lipsky being like, Bro, I'm a genius too. Like get get on I'm. I am on your level. So, like, why don't we like coexist on this higher level? Like, is that something?
2: <laughs> no, I, that's not how I interpreted it. I think Lipsky. I think Lipsky is is like worshipful of Wallace, mm. and he he knows that Wallace has something that he doesn't. Um, like he he recognizes that Wallace is a genius, and he's rather average. So stop and pretending that rese- you're not. Yeah. He. What he resents is yeah. that like Wallace appears to like. He he's like. Uh, so as to please Lipsky and by extension, like most of the people he comes into contact with, he's like making too much of an effort to be like, Oh, I'm a regular guy. I'm not a genius. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not smarter than anybody else. And it's like, dude, who are you kidding? You, you, you wrote this, this epic novel, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so I do think the movie there, there is some truth to that, but the movie immediately backs down and, and ultimately takes the Wallace character at its word but anyway he, they go guy back likes to his. To
1: hang out with his dogs
2: yeah exactly and and chow tarts. down on a famous uh ronald mcdonald sandwich <laughs> 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 and uh oh, but yeah, yeah they go back to his I place the, and then they have like, 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 like i think
0: i think the movie i think the movie does try to address this does, does it happen in the next scene where they're where they're back in the house and like the dogs are are around and like you know, DFW tries to do some kind of like détente and like talks about the reason the reason that he doesn't like fully embrace like his his erudition and his genius is is because like what he really wants is is connection and like mm-hmm. to not feel alone. And so right. that's where the affectation comes from. It comes from a from a need to be accepted and like that's that's why he writes so that so that he can like he can get that 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 feedback. Um, yeah well like the movie does put a button on
2: it in that regard but it's still basically just like it's 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 like it it doesn't contextualize that in a critical way I'm not saying the movie I I don't Mm -hmm. want the movie to say yeah David Foster Wallace is a fraud but it's like I I just want it to take a stance one way or the other Mm -hmm. and for it to be like it it just the whole the whole affair just feels really reductive to me but yeah and like Mm -hmm. also in that scene he finally uh, tries to ask him About doing heroin and uh, uh, David Foster Wallace gets very upset almost gets like kind of violent with him and says that like he never had a serious drug problem Uh, he reiterates that he's only ever been addicted to television Um, and then uh, and then like his like the final kind of note is like they go to bed but then Wallace like creeps into Lipsky's bedroom and gives like kind of his his like affirmative final monologue and like what does he say exactly I
1: can't he like even just remember. like kind of, yeah. Whatever, <laughs> but made, we don't but remember. he makes Lipsky cry. <laughs> yeah,
2: he makes Jesse Eisenberg cry, and then the next day. I think
0: it was. I think it was just about what I was just talking about, like like the the need to like reach out and like make connections. Yeah, like, that's, so, that's at the end of the day. I just don't want to be alone. Oh, uh-huh. it's when he talks like, that
2: that about. The, it's it's the very um, memorable um, kind of passage of his where he's talking about depression mm. and it's like fathoming the person who's like jumping out of a burning building. Yes, yes. Yeah, right, yeah, where it's right. like, it's not that they aren't afraid of jumping out of a building, it's just that the alternative is is uh, unfathomably worse. Um, and then they say goodbye in the driveway. Lipsky's finally leaving Wallace's life. Um, he is denied a hug, um, but uh, Lipsky <laughs> gives him his book and Wallace is like, sure, sure, I'll read your shitty book. And uh, then he like tells Lipsky meaningfully just before he goes, another trailer moment, he says, just be a good guy, which I also kind of resent. Like, I'm not sure why that's there at that moment in the movie. And again, it's just kind of like a Disneyland portrait of David Foster Wallace, like like just like choosing to reduce his like philosophies or his like thematic assertions down to like, oh, geez, just just be nice, you know, or something like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. There's the, there's the scene where they're standing out in the, in the cold field and the dogs are around and it's like, you know, it's, uh, David Foster Wallace is just kind of wreathed in light. Oh yeah. I forgot. They have that like, they have
2: that walk through the snow. The movie, the movie loves having like lens flare shots of like David Foster Wallace's face, just like his fucking lumpen face and just like his sun dappled long hair. It's just like so cliched and so indie movie. But uh, but yeah, Lipsky drives away, and um, and then we uh we go back to the present day, and he finishes up eulogizing David Foster Wallace, and we're treated to a truly haunting image of Siegel's Wallace dancing in slow motion at some kind of hoedown <laughs> like a baptist
1: I, disco yeah i was just
2: like what the how dare you you know it was like at that point where i was like truly reminded like jesus christ what an embarrassment it's almost like but, he's
1: doing that in heaven you know he's just dancing, it, he's dancing <laughs> yeah. exactly angels, just yeah. Like yeah. you'd want oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Oh
2: boy! But uh, so yeah. so let's 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 talk about kind of general impressions of the movie. I'll just say like it really, for the most part, like I don't know, like for what it is, which is like again one of those indie movies where it's just kind of like relatively privileged white people walking around having intellectual conversations filmed indifferently. Um, it's pretty watchable. I don't know, like I enjoyed hearing like the words of Wallace and Lipsky read aloud Mm -hmm. but like in these like extended dialogue scenes I feel like the director like doesn't introduce like any cinematic invention whatsoever like he he, like films them very indifferently Mm -hmm. and like I mean I don't know it's a movie that dramatizes the writing of a magazine article it's like not exactly Lawrence of Arabia territory but like I don't know like you could make something like My Dinner with Andre which is like a, a completely dialogue driven movie but there is still um direction there is still a sense of like directorial decision making mm. but i thought that was completely absent from this movie what did you guys think overall the end of the tour um
0: well uh i would say it was like it was like in a word it was inelegant i guess mm. like there are some there are some genuinely moving scenes i thought i i i i was a big fan of uh like like the scenes with the dogs, like how hmm. how uh, how happy um, uh, DFW's character seems to be around the dogs, like how how easy it is for for him to like you know derive satisfaction from like you know like, like like don't shut your bedroom door during the night. The dogs like to wander around, you know. And then there's that great scene where the dogs wander into the room where Jesse Eisenberg is and like kind of bother him. I enjoyed that mm-hmm. quite a bit. I like the scene where where they're like where they can't find the, uh, the car in the airport parking lot. Um, I thought that was, you know, there was not a lot of dialogue there. I don't know. I I think, I think the film kind of really kind of bungled the transition from like, you know, uh, Lipsky and DFW having these, having these interesting conversations to like, we've got to have a dramatic arc let's compress it into this half hour and like you know and then he's dead and it's 12 years later like there it's it it is not a well structured film <laughs> it's got some it's got some fun scenes the cinematography is you know it's not it's not offensively bad it's got it's got like a fun like americana vibe to it you know it's it's a uh, it's it's all right it's all right you're you're better off just I don't know. I don't know. What 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 did you think? Wall-
1: yeah, I for a movie that is is honestly, you know, I'm a David Foster Wallace, I would say, super fan and I love watching A twenty four films, this movie was like made for me and yet I oh, did that's, not like it. Yeah. <laughs> that's. So like they really they really bungled the execution. Like I'm like this should have been my shit and it definitely yeah. wasn't. I do think it's, yeah, I I think there were some some moments of of beauty. Like, I, lo- I loved those dogs. Love those dogs. But uh, Folks, the mm. dogs
2: were good.
0: Like, what were they, like Chocolate Labs or something? Like
1: Black Labs.
2: They were big
1: chocolate. Yeah. Big, fatties. Yeah. Ugh. big boys. But I think the <laughs> the thing I would say about the movie is that they could have, it would have required like a totally different directorial approach and probably a uh, the non-participation of the very people, the very guy who wrote the thing, so I don't think it could have been done. It is, it's almost mm. a, a, a low-key horror movie, which is that a mm. guy goes from having no audience, no one knows who he is, and then he has used a dead man to further his career. That's like a dark, interesting, I mean, at the wow. end, he did the read, Lipsky did the reading, and it was full. So, like, and when, and you know, they, they made the choice to show that. I'm like, that's, to me, an interesting mm. story is, like, what happens when Salieri, like, when Mozart dies and Salieri is, like, <laughs> makes a, a career off of that, you know? See, that, that would be a oh, much more wow, interesting yeah. movie. But it's not, yeah, it's definitely not. They would, they'd rather just make this kind of fuzzy, you know, cute portrait mm. with D- Jason Segel and a bandana.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the movie. Like, you know... Jesse Eisenberg as or whoever as Lipsky like kind of having his career blossom after Wallace dies and he has this has has his career on on yeah yeah or it can almost use memory
2: or it can almost be like an anthology film because like people love talking about dead ass David Foster Wallace like you can have like Brett Easton Ellis shit talking him on Twitter and you can have like Jonathan Mm -hmm. Franzen did you read the New Yorker article that Jonathan Franzen wrote? um in like 2012 or whatever where he's like yeah everyone thinks david was a saint but really he wasn't that great i used to take him bird watching with me and he would be really bored and i'm like dude <laughs> like i thought he was it's like Jay france fuck your birds man i thought this guy was supposed to be your friend but like <laughs> did yeah, that
3: would write something have been about
1: like he's cl- like climate change is good actually
2: Oh, that's this I think that's weirdly the yeah. same one. Is, it, is that the yeah. same one? He's like yeah, 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 yeah. It's like he goes to like a bird island oh and he like talks about Oh no, I'm the climate change one I think is later. But yeah, on this one he goes to like a bird island to reflect on how David Foster Wallace his friend was not that great actually. But but Molly, I have a question for you. Yeah. You know, we started this talking about all of the like infinite jest punching memes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does this movie get wrong about David Foster Wallace in your opinion and how does that maybe relate to how whatever you want to call it Twitter culture mm. or 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 whoever are the people behind those memes how they misunderstand David Foster Wallace or the book or and and more generally why the book is like such a punching bag why it's like the go-to yeah dude bro object
1: that's a great question I mean I think it's because so the book is so it's so long You truly can't deny it's a big, it's a big boy. It's a big boy book. And there's the footnotes, which make it a hassle (laughs) to read. There's a lot of long words and I don't know some of them, but also that, that doesn't, at the end of the day, it's a funny, interesting, like insane book that was super popular. Like people apparently really, really liked it when it came out because it was such like a big deal. And it then I think it's just because it's like, you're telling me a man wrote this big long book? Like, a, bo- a boy did it? Oh, God. Like See, no that's way. the thing. See, I think
2: I think what it is is like, at least for people who, who like make those memes, is like, what they can't admit is that they're just kind of being anti-intellectual. What they can't admit is like, oh, it's a thousand pages. I'm too lazy to read that. But they can't say that because then they'll sound like dumb and lazy. Yeah. So they have to like try to introduce like some kind of angle where it's actually not woke to read this long right. book right. that a that a straight white guy wrote or something like that. Like that's their like it's 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 just that like laziness that they're able to excuse by way of some like contrived ID Paul angle.
1: Yes. And uh-
2: there's a similar there's a similar thing that
0: happens in like lefty Twitter discourse where like, you know, like about about reading theory
1: mm, like mm-hmm. oh
0: like like you should you should be you should be reading theory if you if you're going to call yourself a leftist of any kind it's like no like it in, in fact like telling people to read theory is like anti-worker because like yeah. you know the working class could never could never read You a know they can't read
3: but no, you're Do right. It like, play, it like plays
2: both. At, yeah, like they'll try to suggest that like reading is is bourgeois or something. Yeah, but that's mm-hmm. the, like full
0: Paul The Pot, deeply
1: annoying know. thing about coding Infinite Jest as like a big male book full of like bad male ideas. I actually think Infinite Jest is a an amazing critique of masculinity
2: yeah well of course it's hilarious because it's like this is the dude bro author the like the guy who would sit and write about silence and irony like that's that's like what dudes in fraternities are, are just gaga for <laughs>
1: it's insane but it's just uh, I, I, it is the the visual comedy here all The visual comedy of having the... It's just so big. Oh, we got
2: another one, folks. It's
1: so large. And I think that's (laughs) what makes people so afraid. They're just like, it's so big and the text is so small. Oh no, a boy wrote it. I'm just... Canceled. Canceled. (laughs) I'm going to go read The Hunger Games again. (laughs) Yeah. Which was written by a woman.
0: Oh boy. A woman, thank you. Well, do
2: you want to maybe just give your two cents about like how Infinite Jest uh speaks to our current moment and why folks should uh should maybe venture to
1: read it Absolutely. I mean, it is it it isn't good because it predicted the future, but it's very interesting in that it did predict the future. There's A lot in there about technology and entertainment and human connection uh he predicts like how weird it is to be video chatting constantly which in 2020 during a pandemic yeah i got up to that part that
2: is so on point yeah because you have to give it your full attention yeah right yeah something to that end yeah yeah
1: Yeah, you have to give your full attention and it, it totally uh fucks up the like dynamic of being on the phone and like doodling and kind of fucking off and half listening to your friends like you can't do that anymore It's Mm -hmm.
0: great. And so there's a whole cottage industry that springs up around, like obscuring your face, like making sure that, you know, no one can, can see you while you're, while you're doing this new, this new technological doohickey. Yeah. Yeah. God, I hate video chatting. It's good to be podcasting with you guys, but boy, oh boy, like, you know, it is, uh, it it is, it is a bit of a, it is a bit of a strain on the psyche. Yeah. Like if it, if it isn't a, if it isn't an intentional thing, like a podcast, Which is a which is among the noblest of pursuits. Yeah, and like
2: as Lloyd like, is saying you know, it, this, he is becoming increasingly pixelated, and I could feel myself being more alienated by it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and also just and also just more more generally. I mean, again, I haven't I haven't read the book, but like uh, Wallace's whole like, you know, uh, uh, thematic uh, 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 project was you know about the about how, you know, stupefying entertainment products are, are corrosive to the soul, as he would say. And, and, you know, what could be more ironic than people on Twitter posting TikToks, making fun of his 1,000-page book about that very thing, a website that melts <laughs> everyone's brain into <laughs> porridge. Or this movie, which, as I said, is, is the very kind of um, sort of easy, accessible, uncomplicated, palliative, that he and ostensibly his on-screen avatar um, would rally against, right?
1: Yeah, yep. He would rather you watch, you know, Die Hard than that, for sure.
2: Or he would rather you would look at a flower <laughs> or something like that.
1: <laughs> Read a pop chart very... label.
2: Yeah, or have very deep, serious sex, but be deep wary of the AIDS sex. dragon, the the sexy AIDS <laughs> dragon. <laughs> Oh God. Uh, well, boy. you guys got any more thoughts on any of this? Oh No. Well this was I, I, I enjoyed watching
0: the movie. It was like I, I hadn't I hadn't really like dipped my toes into like actual DFW stuff for a while and uh it kind of rekindled an old interest. So um It's, 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 it's a fun, it it is watchable, as you said. Like, it's not the, it's not, I was expecting to really hate it. Yeah. It's not, it's not worthy of contempt, but it is kind of like, it's just awkward. It's watchable,
2: good dogs, but still, in my opinion, like a crime, I would say. Still a crime, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) How, How many,
1: how many David Foster Wallace suicides would you rank it?
2: Uh, times, infinity. times infinity yeah yeah, yeah. there's more more david foster wallace suicides than can be counted it's almost like the perfect <laughs> nexus of it yeah mm. like it's it's like it's like the more the, the more you watch it and the more it simply exists in culture the more david foster wallace suicides are happening you know <laughs> yeah. yeah and that's another thing too i don't think david <laughs> foster wallace would approve of podcasts
1: absolutely th- not Absolutely I think not. he would
2: rightly see them as like, we've talked about this on our podcast before, but like how podcasts are basically just, they're just meant to simulate company. So I think he would really like key into that and, and, and view it as uh, as evidence of like kind of the breakdown of the social fabric or what have you.
0: Right. Because, because he liked, he liked, like fun, flashy stuff. He liked action movies. He liked junk food. He liked, uh, you know, kind of the, 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 the well-designed, like really fun stuff and podcasting is not that. No, 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 no. I'm saying
2: that is, that is of a piece with those things. Like, like he liked all those things you listed against his better judgment, of course, obviously. But like he would see podcasts (laughs) as like evidence of how we Uh. are increasingly alienated from one another because it's like, again, Mm. something that simulates your friends talking in another room, but they're not really your friends. Right. And they're not really in that other room, except we are guys. Every listener Mm -hmm. is my friend. But, um... (laughs) Folks, you can follow the podcast at FeelingWellPod on Twitter dot com. You can follow me at Hey You can follow Lloyd at VoidHowler. Howler. Molly, uh, where can we find you? And what else can we listen to?
1: I'm on Twitter at Miss Molly Mary. Um, you can listen to the Infinite the infinite cast is infinite cast is the name of the infinite jazz podcast that I do with my husband that's um, soundcloud.com slash infinite dash cast and then I also have a podcast called and introducing where I talk with my husband again we are a two podcast couple which is just deeply depressing like, oh yeah no that's the dream oh yeah that's that's powerful wow yeah podcast power couple oh Uh that that's <laughs> and introducing is a that's a music podcast where we talk about music books or music writing and that's soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. And those are all my URLs.
2: Hell yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Sounds like infinite content. Infinite content. content. That's what
1: I like. Thanks for having (laughs) me. I appreciate it.
3: Sure thing. Bye, folks. Most kinds of art have this sort of magical thing of for a moment, there's a kind of reconciliation and communion between, between you and me and you and me that isn't possible in any other way. But it's also the sort of thing it's so weighty and so general that, especially after he used the word pontificate, I, I, I feel, the word pontificate, to speak pompously about very, very complex, abstruse matters, it's a little bit pejorative. But he meant it in a funny way. But it's, I mean, it, it's... And, and this is something else about, like, being an American. When I hear the word existential now, I, like, half of me rolls my eyes, oh, what a bit, you know, the big, sexy, like, philosophical term. And um, and it becomes hard to speak seriously about it because all I can hear is being, is, is being made fun of for how serious and boring and dull I'm being. i am. if makes any sense. Good luck at it. Dio 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 Dio